This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. I've got like a nice sort of chilled piano vibe going on as well. Yeah. One, two, one, two, one, two. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm in a slightly different location recording this today. Uh, I'm in a coffee shop in Nottingham, as you do. So apologies if the audio quality is not quite at its usual levels. But we do have the treat of Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker all being on the show today. And we also have your questions to answer rather excitingly for our new email address. More on that in a moment. But first of all, Laurie, it's not just me who's been in a strange place today, is it? <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have given you any ammunition. We've got a packed show. We don't need any kind of mockery of where I've been for the last three hours. Tales from the Speed Awareness course. Yeah, Speed Awareness. So obviously, you know, it's all confidential who was in there, but I will admit that I was in there. It was one of those motorway ones. You know, when you do variable speeds, <laughs> you know, when they change the, you know, you think it's 70. And they flashed it with a 60. I can't even remember what it was, to be honest, but apparently I, I did it. So, yeah, I've learned a bit, actually, as to the mechanics behind it all, the how, how you avoid phantom traffic jams and... Uh, don't speed. Don't speed, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, hands up. Sorry, listeners, I, I will not do it again. It was on a work trip down to London, so I really need to pay more attention, don't I? Andy, ever been caught speeding? No, mate, I'm a good boy. Do we believe that? Do we believe him, Carl? <laughs> Uh, no, my my gifted world is I don't drive. So I've had like five driving lessons and I got freaked out going 25 miles an hour. So <laughs> yeah, very much walking and cycling for me. When when I was 16, after I finished my GCSEs and our maths exam, I went back home with one of my mates and my mum's car was sat outside the house. And my mate said, why don't we drive off in your mum's car and go past everyone else who's just finished the exam waiting at the bus stop? So I said, can you drive? We were 16. He went, I've had a lift to school every single day. Do you not think I've picked it up? I took that at face value, (laughs) got into my mum's car, turned the ignition on, kangaroo jumped back, smashed it into a lamppost. My mate driving, it was a long time ago. He did £900 worth of damage to it. My mum was not happy at all. And the, the lad was paying it off for like, Three quid a week for about six years. But he is a match-going Manchester City fan, so you could say that he deserved his punishment. <laughs> Hello, Mark, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't think you will be if he's a City season ticket holder, but you never know. Uh, I teased it a moment ago, didn't I? But just before we get into the podcast, I need to tell you about our brand new email address. This is exciting, isn't it? So devilspod at theathletic.com is the address. and um, We put it out on social media. And we've had an absolutely brilliant response. Um, Been totally blown away by where the emails have come from. We've had questions as far as Brisbane, Uganda, uh, a name that I can't pronounce that our producer Ollie's put in the uh, running order, no doubt to trip me up. Uh, The UAE, Connecticut via Nigeria, New Jersey, even Leyland, uh, Lancashire. So uh, we get everywhere, it seems. But yeah, if this is news to you, uh, we have an email address. We welcome questions. We welcome comments on the pod. If you want to get involved in some of the banter, of course, you're always welcome. So it's devilspod at theathletic.com. And as we go through this pod, 
uh, today we're going to sort of weave in some of your questions but there's only one place to start and that is Andy Mitten getting the first interview with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer since he left Manchester United that's if you don't class the interview he did before he left Manchester United which was his little farewell thing but it wasn't necessarily about him Andy was it it was about his assistants it's up on the Athletic now if you've not seen it I'm glad that it finally reached the Athletic because I was beginning to worry when you were teasing it, saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I thought it was the next Lee Sharp. <laughs> yeah, I was worried about that, and I said that to my editors. Yeah, as I said on the pod last week, I, I, I spoke to Ollie about how his former assistants were doing, and um, I spoke to him for a long time. Only part of it was on the record, and that's the bit which is in the interview. Very interesting lad, and he was just talking about other people, so... I think that suits Ollie for the time being. I think at a time further on, Ollie will talk more about Ollie. And I think people will be very interested to, to hear that. But, you know, he, when people leave football clubs, they sign various agreements, etc. And, yeah, I mean, it's not for me to speak out. And I, I, I know what his intentions are, what he, what job offers he's had. But it's it's not really fair for me to say that. But I think it was a good time for him to speak about the lads who we work with, because they're all doing really well. You know, Middlesbrough in the playoffs starting this weekend, Salford City are in the playoffs, um, Ipswich Town won automatic promotion, and then there are other coaches like Martin Pert, who Ollie brought into Manchester United. He works with Kieran McKenna, Alan Fettis, who's at Middlesbrough with with Michael Carrick. So, yeah, not the two-hour full-on sit-down that I like to do with with people, um, but you, you, you can't always get that, and I, and I thanked Ollie for his time. And I think people just appreciated hearing that, you know, He's alive. He's all right. Yeah. There's a bit of that, actually, when I was looking through the comments, quite a lot of United fans were just pleased to hear from him again. I was just going to say, where, where is he, Andy? And, and I wondered, obviously not revealing too much, but how do you get something like this? Like, I know you've known him for a long time, but it's still, I think, uh, a big thing for him to come to you and speak. I know on, on you know it's the coaches at the moment, but we can see where hopefully this is going for you and him. But how, how do you do that? It's a good question, Laurie. My ideal interview is where I spend four hours face-to-face with somebody, but you and I and Carl know, and Ian knows, because we speak to people all the time, that almost never happens. So you, you, you're constrained all the time. And with Ollie, I've... I got 10 minutes today with Morgan Gibbs-White and Brennan Johnson at Nottingham Forest's training ground, which is largely made from metal roofs, which on a day <laughs> like today where it's absolutely throwing it down <laughs> explains why I'm in a coffee shop. But anyway, go on, sorry. So where does it come? It, it comes from a long relationship, I think, Laurie. I knew Ollie from 1996. He, he would buy United We Stand. He bought one of our T-shirts, which had Solskjaer and Sheringham on uh, after he scored a goal, which isn't much talked about. Uh, I kept in touch with him when he was at Cardiff. A player actually asked me to ring him up and said, can you ring Ollie for me? I want to play for him. I played for him at United. And I'm like, why don't you just ring him yourself? <laughs> and he said, I'm too shy. And I'm like, okay. It's not a great sign, is it? <laughs> it's not a great sign. 25% commission. <laughs> I didn't want anything. I was doing it as a favour for the lad. And, and Ollie said, I can't sign anyone else. Anyway, Andy, I'm still reading your stuff. He says, if I ever need to get to sleep early, I just know one of your articles <laughs> and I'm away. <laughs> and then he obviously came back in and, you know, we had his good and bad moments. During COVID, it was weird. There were some times where I was the only journalist at them European games. Um, in Rome, for example, a room of 400 people, and it was just me and him post-match and Istanbul. And he walked in and he swore at me, what the F are you doing here? How on earth have you got here? And and I kept in touch with him when he left, and I think we all do that with, with contacts. And the time has never been right for him to do a big interview, and and still isn't. Um, but I felt that last week was a good time for him to talk about people he'd worked with, who've done very well, and he agreed with me, and he spoke, and I would have liked a lot, lot, lot more, but I still think it was worth doing. Where was he, Laurie? He was in he was in Norway. He was going to watch his daughter play football. He's been going backwards and forwards between Manchester and Norway. He's going to come to Manchester soon. He did say to me, I'd like to go in the Stretford end for a game. And I said, I can sort that, no problem at all. Take him in the Red Army section, which I think would, would, would be great. And I saw the reaction to it. There's a lot of love for him, but there's also a lot of people blaming him for things going wrong when he was manager. And it's... Uh, how does this spell look with the benefit of time? I think when you manage Man United, it's like being in a washing machine. 
and it doesn't stop. There's always something. There's always a new problem. And some of these problems are pretty serious. You know, some of your players have got serious problems coming to you every day. And you, you can't always say what you're allowed, what you really think either. As anyone who works for a company might, might, might recognize, you can't come out and say publicly what you, what you really think. But I got quite a lot of people after those Ollie quotes this week saying, you know, good to hear that he's, he's still about. I'd like to see him back in management. He's had some good, good, good job offers. He's got to do what's right for him. It's his life. It's his decisions. Be interesting to see what what he does next and when he's ready to do that. But he's very proud of the people who work with him. Yeah, that certainly comes across in the piece. I mean, the headline from it is that he believes that Michael Carrick will be the Manchester United manager one day. Of course, you can go and read that if you want to know more about Ollie's opinions on Carrick and McKenna and the others as well. Let's bring in our first question then from our email mailbag. This one's one that you've chosen, Carl, actually, and it relates to Michael Carrick because, like Andy mentioned before, Middlesbrough are in the playoffs. Sunderland are also in the playoffs and a Manchester United player has had a huge hand in that. Ahmed Diallo, who's been named the Player of the Year at the Stadium of Light. The question's from Ben Shepherd. Would Diallo stay at Sunderland if they get promoted and what happens if they don't? It's basically about right-sided players, Carl, isn't it? What made you pick this question from Ben and, and can you answer it for us, please? Oh, I've been high on Ahmad since he arrived at Manchester United and while he didn't have the best loan spell at Rangers, the way Tony Mowbray has used him at Sunderland has really showed that he's adapted to English football and yeah, even though he might be a little bit on the small side, he can play very well uh, to adult football. I think Sunderland fans have absolutely fallen in love with him and he will probably play a big role if Sunderland do get promoted again. Um, he will often be the player that can have the decisive moments. And if you look at this United team, they still have, you know, much of a muchness on the right-hand side. There's a lot of conversation as to whether a man will come in over the summer and be Ten Hag's solution to that right-sided problem or if he'll fall behind Anthony and or Jadon Sancho and or others. I think Ahmad's two-footedness, the way he interprets space and the way he can sometimes dovetail and drop in as the number 10 would make him quite useful for Ten Hag if Ten Hag wants to keep him next season. And if he has a good pre-season, I think being a Manchester United player might be more alluring to Ten Hag than sending him out on another loan deal. It amazes me, Laurie, about how interested um, listeners to this podcast are about our loan players. Whenever we do a mailbag or we ask for questions or anything like that, it's always one of the first things that comes up. And obviously with his form this season, Ahmad has been one of the most asked about players too. Do you think he's got a long-term future after all this at Old Trafford? Well, I think just touching on your first point, it's kind of that aspiration, isn't it? So when we ask for questions, readers always want to know who's next, what, what could we be unearthing um, and that kind of journey is, is something exciting uh, so uh, you, know, you can understand why they're sort of focusing their eyes on younger players that are out on loan how have they done yeah Amadell is such a funny one because you know he came in for quite a lot of money really and I'm always sort of bashed whenever I mention 37 million because everyone says it's a 19 million pound deal with 18 million add-ons mm-hmm. but I will go back to the point that United feel like those add-ons will be realised if he is as good as they think he is so it's a lot of money but then you had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Ralph Ranić, not feeling like he was at all ready for first team football, um, kind of a little bit uncertain as to whether he was going to go into the 21s or into the first team. And I think Ten Hag had the same kind of uh, impression, certainly after his loan at Rangers, he needs to go out on loan and get and learn men's football. And this this loan spell has been brilliant for him. He's he's, he's come on leaps and bounds. It, it it looks like to me those different positions that he's playing for Tony Mowbray, not only sort of on the wing but as, as number ten. I mean that goal he scored at Preston to kind of break the deadlock and, and put Sunderland on course for the playoffs was a you know just that kind of moment of magic that I think really energizes the fan base. Right, they see it on 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 Twitter or wherever, and, and you can instantly recognize that guy's got talent. And he scored quite a few goals of a similar quality this season. Ten Hag was actually asked after the Wolves game, you know, when Rashford um, came off the bench to score the winner, about Ahmad and whether United would recall him in January because he was having this sort of productive loan spell and there was a bit of difficulties with the goal scoring. And Ten Hag said, yeah, we did kind of consider it actually, but we feel like he's much more benefiting from the season at Sunderland and that's where we're going to leave. And I think that's been the the correct course of action. And now we'll see, I suppose, what happens, as as Carl's mentioned, in in pre-season. I'm sure we'll get, you know, a look in in pre-season. I'm sure Ten Hag will want to properly get to grips with him and see how he handles his his style of football and just one final perhaps uh, point of technicality to mention 
a few people have said, could he actually play for United again this season if Sunderland do get knocked out? Or if, you know, <laughs> the answer is no, because loans run until June, basically. So it's, you know, you can only recall him in the January window. So he's a Sunderland player till the end of the season. I think it's been great for him to go to a club who averaged 39,000 at home and to become a star there, to have his confidence lifted. There's been lots of doubt since Manchester United paid all of that money for him from Atalanta, but he looks like a real prospect. I'd love him to be a success for Manchester United. It seems like he's head and shoulders above a very good team in the championship. Can he raise that and move above? You know, we saw James Garner, for example, excellent for Nottingham Forest. He hasn't quite worked out for him in a, in a struggling Everton side as well, but certainly been a good season for Ahmad. And it's, it's a very good example of a loan spell working because He'd not played enough games in English football. It's far more physical than the type of football and far quicker than the type of football which he had been playing. So I, I agree with the point. The manager would definitely like a proper look at him pre-season. And um, where does he rank, you know, with with your your, your Amads, um, so, um, with your um, Pelestres, for example? If he's good enough, you know, there's, there's quite a few players in them type of positions. Anthony Alanga as well. So... It's one for Eric Tenard to work out, and that's the whole idea of pre-season. And if he's not going to cut it, then he goes to see the manager and he goes off on loan again. I think this loan deal has gone so well, and Tony Mowbray's been so open about how he's managed the mad that I wouldn't be surprised if more United under-23 players or United, let's say, squad fringe players might end up at Sunderland in future seasons. I think that that could be a good potential pathway for future United players. A couple of years ago, we used to say, oh, you know, back in the day, we'd sell or loan that player to Sunderland. Those days might be back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, well, as Laurie mentioned a moment ago, the future and future hopes are a big theme of the questions that we always receive uh, on Talk of the Devils. And again, it's been the same with the email questions that we've had. Um, an article that you've dropped, actually, Laurie, has provoked quite a lot of responses. And I'm not surprised because it is a detailed look at Richard Arnold and his role as the chief executive at Manchester United. It's up on The Athletic now. You can go and read that, of course, if you've not done already. Um, but a question that you've picked out, actually, is from Richard Walker. So, hello, just wanted to ask a follow-up to Laurie's most recent article profile in Richard Arnold, which was a very good read. Have you any inclination as to what will happen to the people in the top jobs at the club should the buyout from Ineos or Qatar go through? I personally hope that the current leadership structure is retained, whoever owns the club, by the start of next season, because I feel like they actually look like they have a plan and a purpose aligned with the manager. I think it's there's always going to be uncertainty, and this is what we reference in the piece, whenever there's a new ownership, right? I mean, look at what happened with Chelsea... Uh, Marina Granovskaya, who uh, to all intents and purposes did a very good job at Chelsea, was very uh, sharp in the transfer market. Um, Peter Cech as well, um, both left Chelsea because of the new ownership. And so you kind of think that if somebody's going to pay all this money for a club, they would want to do it their own way. Now, they might look at the situation and, and have a bit of a, an assessment first um, and figure things out. Um, you know, conversely, you look at Sir Jim Ratcliffe, if it is to be Ineos, if, if that, uh, you know, goes through. Then, um, you know, he's got a close alignment with Sir Dave Brailsford, who is kind of like his sporting guru, I suppose. So would, you'd, you'd think that he would come in and then does that 
shuffle things around. You've got John Murtra as football director. Um, you've got people underneath him, Andy O'Boyle as, as deputy um, uh, football director, um, Darren Fletcher as technical director, um, Steve Brown as head of recruitment. So that they would be people that you kind of look at and go, okay, is this going to change now because of what's um, the new ownership? Um, and then Richard Arnold, who's the focus of the piece, um, yeah, I mean, that might be slightly different because he's got so much experience working at Manchester United, uh, you know, in the commercial side, certainly. Would they have dialogue with him first before figuring out which way they want to go? I, I don't know. But I think whatever happens, there is, you know, these people are, you know, they know how the game works. <laughs> There's going to be a question mark over their, their future. Um, so, um, but yeah, the, the piece itself, I'm, I'm glad it got sort of, you know, interesting feedback. The, the idea was just to kind of spell out what he's done in his uh, year in charge of chief executive and, and, and really how different it's been to Ed Woodward, who was much more involved in the football side of things. Um, Richard Arnold, I think, has empowered um, people, certainly like John Murr, to, uh, to have that relationship with Eric Ten Hag to, to pick the players that they, that the manager ideally would want um, and, and, and therefore empower them and, give autonomy to them um, in a way that Edward would perhaps didn't do. Um, and yeah, we can kind of dissect, I suppose, different aspects to that. I think it was a good piece, lots of detail, well worth reading for people who, who subscribe. The simple answer is we don't know what changes are going to be made. We don't even know who's going to be running Manchester United. There's already been lots of changes, but if I've learned anything in the 30-odd years I've covered this club, is that change is continual. People come up to me every single summer and go, all changed, not like it used to be. But they've been doing that for 33 years. And even some of the names that Laurie mentioned were not at the club one year ago. Senior positions have changed. Wholesale change last year. I agree with the sentiment of the caller. Actually, I do think there's people there who do know what they're doing. I've said on this podcast that I think Richard Arnold is doing a good job. And yet, I know he was part of the Glazer takeover. I think there's actually a lot of employees of Manchester United who'd quite like new owners as well. Because they think that, I know for a fact they would, because it's not always easiest working under the constraints of, of the Glazer. So hopefully that that is going to change. And I'd just be just be careful and be careful what you wish for sometimes if you want changes right across the board. He's got a good manager there. He's got a good working relationship there. Don't be dazzled by, by big names. I think Manchester United have done a lot right uh, this year. And... Just look at how bad things can go by looking at Chelsea. Chelsea, I, I, I've said on this pod before, I was privy to some phone calls last summer and alarm bells were going straight away, including some of the people who Laurie mentioned. And we didn't know last August how bad Chelsea were going to be. Chelsea's like where if you listen to fans online, that's how your football club ends up. You end up signing new players every two minutes and someone's got to have a more coherent strategy than that. A lot of good people at Manchester United. We just don't know who is is going to come in yet and, and what changes that they're, they're going to make. But proceed with caution. It's good that Andy brings up the amount of change that happened last season. On my laptop at all times, I've just got a list of all the roles that changed last season. So, 21-22, United shared their manager, their assistant manager, their executive vice chairman, their director of football negotiations, their chief of staff, their chief strategy officer, their director of communications their chief scout and their head of global scouting. Laurie, when he does these amazing pieces on Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward and whatnot ever, he always like fashions up an amazing family tree. It's not me, it's the graphics guys, Carl, but yes, yes, you you bang on here. I know you do you do it in pen and paper pen, you know, pen and paper, and yeah, then you send sure. it over to the graphics guys. <laughs> uh, and I always remember you know, the one that always gets me is when you spend ages getting all done nice and tidy, send it off to the graphics team, and then the next day Nikki Butt left. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I've got to redo this again. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. Well, do you know that that happened with this one? Just quickly, I got asked, you know, when, when was the latest one we did? And I was like, oh, it was last summer. Oh, you know, maybe one one person's changed. No, it was like three or four, and I had to go back and go, oh yeah, that, that that person's left. That's that's changed. So yeah, you're right. It, turnover is happening quite frequently. Like Andy says, it's a washing machine. Change is inevitable, especially at a club the size of Manchester United. But you want to be really careful of, of not just changing for change's sake. To go back to that Chelsea point. One reason why Chelsea have had quite a few injury problems this season is because they got rid of a large amount of their medical staff and moved it to a third party. That third party consultant medical team didn't necessarily have the expertise of the players intimately to know when they're going to enter the red zone. You know, the hang on, they're about to have one of their hamstrings go pop that the old medical team have and only for that old medical team to be brought back um, later on in the season. So, 
not all change is good. And even though you might not like every single figure currently at Manchester United, sometimes continuity is a good thing, especially at a time where someone like Eric Tegarg is still, to an extent, just getting his feet underneath the table. Okay, well, if you want to read Laurie's piece about Richard Arnold and the job he's doing at Manchester United at the moment, remember you can sign up now to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and you can take advantage of the special podcast price of one ninety nine a month for the first 12 months. Let's keep it on the theme of change because we talked about David De Gea and his position at United on the last podcast. It provoked a lot of comments from a lot of people actually, positive and negative, but I have to say the majority of them probably were questioning us backing De Gea uh, and some of the opinions that we held as well. And that's continued in some of the email questions we've had uh, too. So, Carl, if you can pick up on this one, maybe. Um, If goalkeeper isn't seen as a priority in the summer transfer window, why isn't Dean Henderson given an opportunity? He seems very capable he seems a very capable goalkeeper and looks to be an improvement on De Gea in many ways. That's from Daniel in Limerick in Ireland. There's also one as well um, from Phil Hennessy, which was about <laughs> basically a reaction to some of the comments on, on Laurie's recent piece where it said that fans were actually trying to say that right-back, centre-back, centre-midfield and striker were more of a priority than goalkeeper. Um, Carl, what do you think? Right, OK. So I just had a... I'm going to name drop him. Hi, Sam Brown. He's also my editor. Uh, we had a, we had a chat this morning about De Gea and the situation. And I think we're missing the, a complete sentence. We should put an asterisk. I think Manchester United and on the Ten Hag can progress with David De Gea in goal, dot, 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 providing the Sandro Martinez is in the starting 11. Martinez has done a lot of good to help cover for De Gea's weaknesses in terms of ball progression. Um, and that short build-up play that Ten Hag really, really wants. If Martinez is fit and he's the first option that De Gea can pass through, De Gea is not being pressured as much and can focus on the things that he's good at. The problem you're having in the last couple of games is Martinez isn't there and you're seeing more glaring weaknesses. Sure, he's helping, but that's an issue. So if Ten Hag gets the word that Martinez is healing up great and he's going to come back to the same level he was before he gets injured... I am more relaxed about David De Gea being the starting goalkeeper next season. If we hear word that Martinez won't be fit for the start of the season, or if we get two games in and he's looking maybe 75%, or indeed, if before the window shuts, you know, Martinez plays one game and then something goes wrong with his foot or something goes wrong with his hamstring and he's out for six weeks, then I'm going to get slightly more worried. With Henderson, it's the same thing we've always said about Henderson. He's a good goalkeeper, but unfortunately, he seems to have absolutely rotten luck. He's got another injury now, which means what should have been a very good loan deal at Nottingham Forest is going to end up with Kaylon Navas having played more games for Nottingham Forest than, than Henderson does. And while Henderson is better at some things that De Gea is not great at, he's not fantastic at them to the extent that suggests United don't have to go into the market. If you look at all the top six goalkeepers or indeed if you watch any Champions League games this week pretty much every single goalkeeper even when you press them has a chipped or clipped through ball that they can get to the fullback you saw this a lot if you watch the Milan derby Onana just constantly was just popping it over to the fullback Uh, and they can do that when being pressured Henderson can do it if he's not being pressured De Gea is trying to do it but I don't think he's ever going to master it Uh, and I think that's just one of a number of tools that a Manchester United goalkeeper for Eric Ten Hag will need to have the De Gea situation is like holding a bomb, but you don't know how short the fuse is. It's going to go off eventually. And at some point, you're going to need to move on with him. Your mileage is going to vary as to whether or not you need to do it now or later. Yeah, Andy and Laurie, you both had your say on the last podcast on De Gea. So I'm going to move it on. People can go back and listen to that, obviously, if they want to know what you think about the situation with the Manchester United number one. Um, I just want to pick up on this question, actually. I had to read this name several times just to make sure that Andy Mitten hadn't just sent <laughs> a question in himself and just sort of like, I don't know, made an anagram of his name. It's Aidan Millen, which is scarily similar. He's actually floated the idea of picking up players from some of the relegated clubs or the potentially relegated clubs in the Premier League this season. The two names that he mentions are actually, a, one of them's a goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford, and the other one is James Ward-Prowse. I mean, is this a market, lorry that you think United could fish in this summer, considering there is likely to be some pressure on the budget, no matter who's in charge and what stage a potential takeover's at? You, you might look at it and think, United buying from a relegated team, God, that's just a sign of you know, the club 
you know, scraping the barrel really. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think there's there's potential talent that in these teams that are going to get relegated. Um, it depends who, obviously. But I look at Leicester, and I, I know that Newcastle have been linked heavily with James Madison. But I, I kind of wonder could he could he not do a job for Manchester United as like that kind of alternate Bruno uh, and Carl shaking his head, and you know, sort of on on the wings maybe. I, you know, I don't know. I just think that he's got talent clearly high high technical level and um and i think he i think he'd add something new to manchester united that they don't currently have um i mean cuz I, I, what i think back to is when you know newcastle got relegated and liverpool snapped up genie wijnaldum and, mm-hmm. and and that actually really worked well for them and i don't know obviously it depends on price it depends on salary but i don't think he'd be on much you know too great away just not certainly not when it comes to manchester united so i don't know he he was one that i thought and i've always liked harvey barnes i think united have looked at harvey barnes in the past but you know united have got players you know i mean rashford that's rashford's position right the, the kind of cutting in and, and shooting with his right foot so um i think that wouldn't really work but um but yeah i don't know james madison as well go on why why, why are you shaking your head carl Okay, so I did this at the end of 2021. I did a piece of just, here's all the relegated players that Premier League clubs should buy. And I will most likely do this at some point before June is over. So the Southampton section is being written. Madison reminds me a lot of Philip Coutinho in that if you are a imperfect football team and you want someone to just keep funneling the ball to, Madison's good because he's going to, if you give him the ball in high percentages, he can make stuff happen. However, if you're a team... That wants to dominate possession, really play in a more comprehensive team style and not constantly funnel the ball to one person. Maybe not. And I think while Bruno Fernandes and this Bruno Fernandes-centric style that United are playing in is good, eventually Ten Hag will probably want to share the ball a bit, share the love. So Madison is a very, very good player and I think he could definitely slot in at one of the other top six clubs. I don't see him fitting at Manchester United. I like uh, Declan Rice at West Ham, just looking at the league table. They've uh, <laughs> lost the last uh, three matches. I thought he's an emerging player. He's really good. Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at last week's league table. They've actually got oh, Jesus. They've got 37 points. It looks like the West Ham have played a game since I last looked at it. Sorry. They, who have they beaten? Oh, right. They're safe. Okay. <laughs> I, I I really think Manchester United should be looking at whichever clubs get relegated. And Laurie's completely right. You know, if Ferguson was still about, you can get the sense he would have looked at Junior Wijnaldum. You know, Liverpool also picked up Andy Robertson when Hull went down. And, you know, eventually Harry Maguire ended up at United. Arf, arf. Well, if they'd, if they'd signed him when he was at Hull for yep. 16 million, the, the whole sort of narrative around him would be totally different. Yeah. Carl, anyone at Southampton, you've got a bit of knowledge of them, haven't you? There's going to be more than one Premier League club who's going to be looking at Romeo Lavia when Southampton get relegated. Yeah. If I was working for Manchester United, I would probably be making the case for him to join Manchester United. I'd be making the case for him ahead of James Ward-Prowse as well. Just put Dutch match of the day on to see where Eric Ten Hag's looking at. <laughs> Seriously, if we go if we go back a year, nobody was mentioning uh, Anthony, Casemiro, De Jong was... People talking Malassia. a bit about him. Malassia. It just shows how they come from, from nowhere. You know, we can talk and people will talk because it's transfers, Ericsson, you know, all the players Val- we ended up Vegas. signing. <laughs> Superval. I had Anthony on my list for United players. First I heard of Anthony was when I was told that Barcelona were looking at him or... Um, Rafinha R- R- Rafinha yep and, and it was a straight choice of the two of them and they went for Rafinha Athletic subscribers you can you know shopping for Ten Hag I did a four part series all players I remember all players United could buy and if you look at the right side of the attack Rafinha was on the list Anthony was on the list there's one West Ham player was on the list as well but uh, yeah he just bedeviled everyone last week Right, Andy's got to go very, very shortly before we preview what's a huge weekend for both the men's and women's teams at Manchester United. But I just want to get one last question in because it's a biggie from Warren Heyman. And thank you, Warren, for putting us (laughs) in this predicament. It's very kind of you. He's asking us to choose. Andy, I'll start with you just in case your answer is so long that you have to leave halfway (laughs) through it. But he says fifth in the FA Cup or fourth, and a Manchester City treble. 
what an horrendous question to even ask, let alone answer, he says, whilst asking us to answer it. <laughs> and he's looking as pained as he was when he was asked to pay the bill oh. for my last cocktail. <laughs> he's gone pale. It's a horrible question. And I know, Warren, I'm just surprised it's not about some obscure South American player who played reserve football in 1972. Warren, that's a horrible, horrible question. Can I answer it in a week's time, hopefully when Real Madrid have beaten Manchester City and there's less pressure <laughs> on that question? It, it's an awful, awful question. I feel so protective over the treble. And I, I, I mean, this is just like, it's just an awful question. I don't know the answer. I, re I really... I don't. What did you What did you say, Laurie? Well, I, I said this. So we had, we had this question on MUTV a couple of days ago, and I said FA Cup because football's about occasions, right? And if United yep. are stopping City from winning the title at Wembley, I feel like that would live long in the memory. I know it sounds a bit small time, and that all you've got is stopping City, but the treble was a unique moment in history. But then again, I was on the panel with Wes Brown who won the bloody treble <laughs> and he and he said top four he said Champions League he thought financial and, and to get to Eric Tenag to where he wants to get to you need the revenues from Champions League broadcast deals so you know what do I know I don't know what 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 go on you, you guys say what do you think that's the decision isn't it basically it's about whether you're focused on Manchester United's future or protecting Manchester United's past and the history and the record of of winning the treble in 1999. What do you think, Carl? Uh, finish fourth. United already have a trophy. They've, they've already, you know, finish fourth, get a trophy, achieve the Andy Mitten standard. And yes, and I'll, I'll bring up the same argument I brought up when Ronaldo nearly looked like he was going to sign for that lot. You can't get, you cannot let what City are doing knock you off course. You're like, you, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And <clears throat> 114. I'm fine. Whatever. Uh, 115. <laughs> there you go. The thing you need to focus on now is what is what gets Manchester United from, from where they are now to where they need to be in the shortest space possible. And to do that, you need to be in the Champions League. Lads, you're sensible. I like your answers. I'm going to buy myself a week before I answer. In the meantime, <laughs> I'm going to set up the Manchester branch of the Real Madrid Supporters Club. It's two quid for one week's membership. <laughs> See how we go with that one. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, so somehow I think Andy actually managed to worm out of that without even answering the question. <laughs> it's quite a skill to that. Maybe he should be a politician. Let's preview the weekend then for Manchester United. Obviously, the men have got a, a huge game in the battle for the top four against Wolves at Old Trafford on Saturday. But we need to preview the Women's Oof. FA Cup final as well. What 
an event this is going to be for Manchester United this weekend, Carl. What chance do you give them against Chelsea? They've looked quite ominous in their form, shall we say. Yeah, ominous is the word. Chelsea beat Leicester City by a lot. Yesterday, uh, they've made up their goal difference on Manchester United's women's team at the top of the Super League in, in two games. So, I mean, the, the the idea was always if Chelsea win their remaining Super League games, they would win the title and United need Chelsea to slip up and Chelsea are playing at such a run of form that they might not. However, a good result in Wembley could throw a spanner in the works. I think United will come in to Sunday's game as the slight underdogs. Skinner has really impressed me this season at how he can mix up, sometimes play expensive football and sometimes be a crafty little Mourinho-esque bugger in the bigger games. Fingers crossed. I am going to say United are going to pip it, but it's going to be an ugly one if they do. Yeah, it's going to be a real tough test, isn't it? We've said before that Manchester United have never beaten Chelsea in the WSL. Of course, this is the FA Cup, so it's a totally different thing. And it's a final and it's at Wembley and all the tickets that were available have been sold for it as well. Um, Wednesday wasn't a great evening for United, Laurie, considering Chelsea got that big win against Leicester. They're now a point behind them in the league with a game in hand still as well. There's obviously that huge weekend in the WSL coming up when Manchester United play Manchester City and Chelsea and Arsenal face off um, at pretty much the same time. Um, How do you see this final? I mean, obviously the result's important, but just the occasion feels like a a huge step forward for the club, really. I think it would... It would give them a boost for the for the running, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, if you've got two teams going at it in the league, and you know one can come out on top in in an FA Cup final first, then it's a huge confidence booster. Whatever the form is around that um, uh, match, and also the fact that United aren't really expected, they weren't really anticipated to be in this kind of position. So at the start of the season, so I think if they end, you know, if they can win this game, I think even if they don't end up winning the league, I think it would be viewed as a very positive season, particularly, you know, with Champions League qualification. Um, so close, if, if not assured. I'm just looking at the table now. Um, it's basically assured, isn't One it? One point. Yeah. Clearly Chelsea are going like an absolute steam train. To, to make up, I think, 13 goals difference in two games is, is quite something. And now if... If they draw that game in hand, they still go top, don't they? Because they've scored more goals than Man United, which is saying something because United have got 53 in, in 20 games. I mean, they've got a 42 goal difference in 20 games. It is, is You'd think that would be <laughs> cruising away with it. But um, Chelsea obviously know how to get in, in these situations and how to, how to win matches. Emma Hayes is, is pretty calm you know, in, in this kind of situation. I think when you look at the Wembley situation, though, you know, you've got United players that have won there with England. I know Chelsea have, but you know, United, you know, you've got Mary Earps, you've got um Ella Toom in particular, Alessia Russo. Ella Toom seems to come alive at Wembley, so um, you know, you wonder if there's gonna be another kind of iconic celebration <laughs> if she scores at Wembley again. Yeah, uh, Emma Hayes has given two or three impish interviews in the lead up, which which she often does when it goes to the big game. She's very good at taking off the pressure from her players by, uh, again, doing Mourinho-esque things when talking to the press. Uh, the big concern that you've constantly had watching this United team is, yes, they are getting better. And yes, it looks like they're going to be in the Champions League. And it looks like that injection of money could take that team to the great, great strength. However, on a but you, she might be going to Barcelona. The situation with Russo is still up in the air. And if Russo decides to depart at the end of this season, I don't think you can buy a Russo replacement. The only players who are better than Russo already play at Chelsea pretty much in, in the Super League. So that, that would dramatically change United's chances. This isn't quite the last dance, but this is perhaps the best chance United will have to win two bits of silverware with this group of players. So, in fact, yeah, it is a last dance. I don't know why I just said that. Anyway, good luck. I'll be there on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost the very definition of the last dance, isn't it? We look forward to hearing how it goes on the podcast next week. In the meantime, there's a lovely interview on The Athletic with Katie Zellum, the Manchester United captain by Ali Rampling, where um, she talks about her dad, Alan, who actually played in the final of the FA Trophy at the old Wembley back in 1989 and lost in goal for Macclesfield Town. And she's looking to sort of claim back a little bit of family pride uh, in the final against Chelsea. That's lovely. There's also more of a preview to the game as well on the women's um, football podcast from The Athletic. You can go and check that out. Uh, now there's an exclusive interview on there with Maya Letizia, who's been a big plus point of Manchester United's season. Hayley Ladd 
is also on that interview as well. That's Monday's edition of the Athletics Women's Football Podcast. Go and check that out. But let's talk about Wolves, Laurie. Huge as well for very different reasons. Yeah, I mean, United have to win it, don't they? In my in my view, I think that this is the one where the momentum has kind of, well, it shifted big time, hasn't it, with the two defeats. Although I, I do think if you if they'd taken the chances in, in both those games, they could have easily won both those games. Um, I know that West Ham and Brighton both played well. Someone should have written an article know, about yeah, can, that. Can we link to it now? Is that too early? Should I wait a little bit or um, should I just go, go straight in? Um, go. I did a little thing on the Monday. So bank holiday Monday, you know, as, as you do. When United lose, you don't get your bank holidays off. Um, I was writing in the, I know, the hotel lobby. <laughs> <laughs> the hotel lobby for the rest of the day. And just looking at the... Is it right that United are missing chances? Because Luke Shaw very uh, pointedly said it after the Brighton game where he was owning up to his mistake, but also, you know, let's look at the top end of the pitch, actually, and, and we know the reason why we, we've, you know, lost this game 1-0 because we've uh, missed chances. Is is that the case? Uh, and, and yeah, to be honest, it, it is because um, United have created 72 big chances this season, more than Arsenal, who have 69, and Arsenal have scored 34 goals more than Manchester United, which is a, a hell of a total. You know, so United's X, XG expected goals, so the kind of the situations they're getting into and taking shots from. Um, I know it's not a, an exact science, but it's a, a decent metric, I think, over the course of a season to sort of figure out are they, you know, any good at finishing. And that's basically 57 uh, goals expected. So for them to score 49 is, you know, they're obviously not finishing as well as they could do in these situations. So, okay, you know, Tenag seems to be doing okay with sort of pushing them into the right areas but if the strikers aren't then finishing it off or, or, or forward to ever midfielders then you know that's something that they need to look at because 49 goals at this stage of a season is, is rubbish I mean you've got same number of goals as Leicester you know with James Madison scoring a lot there um, <laughs> or not <laughs> uh, you've got less goals than Fulham uh, less goals than Brentford like this is come on this is <laughs> these are kind of mid-ranking I know they're, they're having good seasons well Leicester aren't but you know United should be scoring more than these teams so that's something clearly that they'll look at in the transfer window but yeah so I, I feel like after all that you know they're playing okay like they're not playing disastrously I know Andy was very down on them after the West Ham game I don't know I thought they started well and I, I was kind of enjoying it so I, I kind of feel like if they can start like that against Wolves and get ahead, then that would change the whole feeling around the club. But on the flip side, if they don't win, wow, that they, they are in serious trouble then, I think, at that point, because you look at Liverpool going to Leicester. Leicester have been brittle, haven't they? So can Liverpool you know, seize full advantage if United do slip up against Wolves? But I feel like if they can... They've got a real chance to reassert their prominence in this in this race with a victory against Wolves. Yeah, and the home form, Carl, as well, has been a plus point for United, hasn't it? That's been the one thing, really, that's been unaffected by the troubles they've had in recent weeks. When there has been defeats or there has been poorer performances, they've tended to come away from home, apart from the final 10 minutes, maybe, against Sevilla. That, but that should give United confidence. I mean, they've still lost just one home game all season in the Premier League, and that was on the opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's linked. You know, you look at Marcus Rashford, who is the top scorer for United this season, the majority of his goals have come at Old Trafford. He had that lovely run where he scored in consecutive games at Old Trafford. And before the season started, I wrote a piece outlining that United looked to be 20 goals short in their squad. If you look at the last couple of seasons, you need around 69 goals to finish in the top four. And United, even with Ronaldo, when it looked like Ronaldo was, was going to be there for duration, if you looked at the average goal totals per season, they might be here where we are right now. However, Ten Hag seems to be, you know, finding some solutions. Something that stuck with me last week are the early chances Anthony had against both Brighton and against West Ham. He's able to run in behind and have these shots, but he just keeps pulling them a bit wide. So if those first 15 minutes against Wolves, he put, you know, he pulls it on target, that should hopefully be fine. Because while United aren't necessarily playing great up front, I don't see him conceding too many goals between now and the end of the season. This is, I'm not going to touch wood, but I'm pulling that face. Because um, Casemiro seems to be better. Get the first goal. This should be fine. Andy's not here, so I'll cover for him in the whole, oh God, I can't stand playing Wolves. Yeah, there is a bit of that still, isn't there? We'll see what version we get. <laughs> Hopefully we get the one that got battered 6-0 at Brighton. Of course, we'll be back on Talk of the Devils after that game against Wolves, no matter what happens. Um, thank you so much for all your emails, like I said at the start of the podcast as well. This is going to be a regular thing that we weave into the pods. So remember that address, devilspod at theathletic.com. But just before we wrap things up, one final question to squeeze in 
from Ravshan in the United Arab Emirates. Laurie, have you ever tried a bullfrog cocktail? I've always heard it considered as the unofficial cocktail of Dubai, and I do quite enjoy them myself. Ever had a bullfrog? Well, it does sound like something that is made up. I mean, Andy, if he was here, he'd be taking the piss, wouldn't he? Because he's like, you've just made that up. Uh, what kind of weather would it be to kind of put in front of it, you know, a, a rainy bullfrog? A stormy cow a stormy used to cow, go on about. Yeah. <laughs> there was always some kind of weather element to it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've Googled bullfrog. I've never had one, uh, Rafshan. Thank you for the question. Um, it's a, but I've looked at it. It's so luminously blue. It's like a, a WKD, which obviously I've had a few of them in, in my time back when I was younger. Um, but it's got, it's got vodka, rum, tequila and gin in it. I mean, I think if you have this cocktail... Um, you just, surely you just need one for the night and that's you sorted so maybe maybe Ravshan's onto something there you know a bit of a cheap cheap night um, so anyway yeah I haven't Ravshan but I will uh, I'll give it a go at some point yeah it sounds like a challenge for the pre-season tour at some point now doesn't <laughs> yeah. it although United are in Dubai they're in America but I'm sure they'll uh, be able to rustle you up a bullfrog I tell you what let's hope we're all after a bullfrog after the matches this weekend for the men's and women's team let's hope we're toasting a cup final success and another huge step forward uh, for Manchester United's men in getting in the top four. But that's it for Talk of the Devils. Remember, if you want access to any of the articles that we talked about today, you can sign up now at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. There is that special podcast prize. Remember, $1.99 a month for your first 12 months. But thank you to Laurie. Thank you to Carl. Thank you to Andy, who popped off earlier. And thanks for listening as well. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.